comes to loving God as Father, we've got some idea of what fathers are like. If we can understand something of what it means to love our Father or love Father God in some way. We've got an understanding of Father God in some way. Whether it's the right understanding or the wrong understanding. When we come to know about loving Jesus as the person of Jesus, within the Gospels we've got some historical fact and some sort of understanding of who Jesus is and how we can love him as a person. But what do we do when we come to love the Holy Spirit? How do we love a spirit? You see, some misunderstanding of the person of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit may have arisen in our lives. And that relationship we have in may have been distorted and broken. It may have been devalued in some way because we don't have that understanding or that level of experience of what the Holy Spirit is about. And in some ways, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. And so those three points today, I want to look at the uh, person and the position of the Holy Spirit. I want to look at, secondly, his role and his function. And thirdly, to just touch on how we can relate to the Holy Spirit. We need to ask ourselves this question particularly. What difference would it make if the Holy Spirit did not exist? Just think about that. What difference would it make in your lives if the Holy Spirit didn't exist? You see, if we're not living under the dynamic and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're living under a set of rules and regulations and laws and standards that we've decided for ourselves. First of all, we want to look at his personality. Those of you who've got your Bibles, whether they're in uh, printed form or whether in electric form, uh, you can look up or just uh, draw your attention to John chapter 16. If I was in Uganda, I would have been reading it and we would have been able to spend more time just looking at the whole passage. But I'll just if you hold, hold it up uh, before you, John 16, and particularly verses 5 to 15. We won't read it, we'll just refer to it. You see, Jesus by this time had been with his disciples for about two or three years. But now he was telling them that he was going to go back to his father. And in verse 7 of uh, John 16, we see that Jesus said this, it's good that I'm going away. What a strange thing to say. He was going to disappear and he said, this is a good thing. And the disciples were sad. We need to consider why it was better that Jesus had to go away. You see that the Holy Spirit is characteristics that only a person has. He can speak. He can hear. He can, reve he can reveal things. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. And he can teach. And we need to start by understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a force. It's not some sort of fluffy cloud that hovers over our meetings. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a power. He's not a force. He's not an influence at all. Neither is he a doctrine. He's not a duty that we've got to perform. It's not a theology that we have. It's not an activity. It's not a way of life. It's not a principle. The Holy Spirit is none of these things. It's not something that is abstract or impersonal. You see, Christianity is not a philosophy that's to be talked about, but it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit which is to be enjoyed. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He's someone who loves us, who cares for us, and longs for a relationship with us. Jesus was always referring to the Holy Spirit as him, not it. So how do we relate to a spirit? How do we relate to a spirit? Sounds weird, doesn't it? You see, if we think that the Holy Spirit is just an influence, some sort of force or power, the force be with you, in that some sort of sense, rather than a person, then we relate to the Holy Spirit in the wrong way. And it just doesn't work. I wonder whether we just tune in to the Holy Spirit only during meetings. We say, come Holy Spirit, when we're at a meeting or a gathering, or, or maybe during our quiet time. But is the reality of the Holy Spirit something which is outside our normal day-to-day experience? Do you only try to have a relationship or an understanding with the Holy Spirit when you come to a church gathering such as this? Look at John 14, verses 15 to 20. You see, here in this portion of Scripture, Jesus describes in verse 16 the Holy Spirit as another advocate or another helper. I think some of you know that I just love looking at some of the Greek and what that really means. You see, this Greek word for another used here means another, but exactly the same. A different Greek word for another is called heritos, which means another, but something which is different. So some of you remember that at the end of last year, I changed my car and we got, I got another car. But I didn't get another Peugeot. The car that I got was different because Ruth wanted it to be different than the other one. The other one was too big and wanted a smaller car. So I got another smaller car. But it wasn't another that was exactly the same. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you another counsellor who is exactly the same as I am. Another who is exactly the same. He's declaring here that the Holy Spirit is going to be the same as himself, equally God, and sharing all the characteristics 
of God and his being. So therefore, it was to the advantage of the disciples that Jesus had to go away. In that he would be with you. Verse 16. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus and is referred to elsewhere as the Spirit of Jesus. You're beginning to understand. I'm going to send you another counsellor, another helper, who is exactly the same as I am. And he will be with you forever. He's exactly the same as Jesus in his person, but different as a person. This is the... This is the, the question, the theology. This is the mystery of the triune God. Although he's a distinct person, he shares every characteristic, every aspect of the Godhead, every aspect of the Father, every aspect of the Son, because they are three in one. Some Christians fail because they don't even know that they have the Holy Spirit. But a lot more Christians fail because their concept of the Holy Spirit is only that of a nice idea or a religious theological statement of some sort or another. doesn't have anything to do with their real lives. doesn't affect their day-to-day lives at all. The Holy Spirit's not a concept. The Holy Spirit's a person, beloved. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the Spirit of Christ. And he does have something which has everything to do with our day-to-day lives. Especially if we're interested in living as Christians and living a life that's not just religious. So what's his position? In the Old Testament, we read that the Holy Spirit appears to have been upon people. It was an external anointing. Very often it was just upon specific individuals. Sometimes it was the priests, sometimes it was the prophets, sometimes it was the kings, but they were on specific people. For the ordinary Israelite in the Old Testament, their access to God was through a person, was through human mediation. To inquire of the Lord that they would seek out a priest, or a prophet to inquire on their behalf. The Holy Spirit was external to them. But now in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, this is all changing. He said this because he said, he, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. John 14, verse 17. And his reference was the coming of the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The dynamics have now changed, you see. Instead of being an external person, instead the Holy Spirit is now becoming internal to us. It's not just external on a few people. There's the possibility of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, dwelling internally within us. The Holy Spirit is now available to indwell believers. And he's not someone who is outside them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
The dynamics of the spiritual life have now changed. Something different happens. Because the Bible tells us that our bodies are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it was to the advantage of the disciples that Jesus went away. Because when he was here on earth, he was only available to them as an individual. He was limited. He was a human person. They could only go to him when he was there and when he was there. And when he was somewhere else, they had to go away and try and find him. He could only be in one place at one time. And because of this dynamic change that's taken place, and we have become the temples, the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, God himself is resident in us individually and corporately. All that God is, all that he has, all that he can do is available to us as a living reality. Wow! Isn't that exciting? Hallelujah. This is no impersonal being. It's not a distant God at all. It's not an unapproachable dignity which is remote and distant as he perhaps was in the Old Testament, but a loving God who is present in reality with us now. And he's to be with us forever. And this is a, ref- a fuller understanding of what it means when God says he is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. That's why Jesus was given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And so Jesus in this passage in John is not overstating things when he says to the disciples, it's better that I go away from you. Unless I go away, the advocate, the helper will not come to you. In his incarnate person, he was only able to be alongside his disciples. But far beyond this reality, he was going to release the Holy Spirit to indwell them. The disciples would no longer have to seek out God to find out where Jesus was. They wouldn't have to go looking for him and try to find him to see what they could find from him. As the person the person of the Holy Spirit would be inside them so that wherever they went, Jesus would be with them. Hallelujah. And nothing would separate them from God. Nothing would separate them from Jesus. That, beloved, is the reality of where we are today in that he he has made himself available to all of mankind. The Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus, is available to each one of us this morning. So let's look at the role and the function of the Holy Spirit. He's there as a helper. Apart from his relationship with us individually, he's described by Jesus in John 14 in the verses 16 and 26 as the counsellor, the parakletos is what it says in the Greek. This is literally the one who comes alongside us to help. But at the time that this was written, John's readers would have understood the word as a legal term. 
it's, re it's really referring to one's counsel of defense or a, a barrister or a legal representative who reps our, represents our interest in a court of law. He represents our interest before the judge and is an expert on all matters of the law and court proceedings, etc. Here is a picture of God as the Holy Spirit who stands alongside us as being the expert on all matters that we need for life and godliness. He's available constantly to us, every hour, every day, every month, every year of our lives, with all the wisdom, with all the knowledge, with all the insight, with all the ability, with all the power, everything that we need to be more than a conqueror. That's who we've got with us, alongside us. That's the person of the Holy Spirit. Not fluffy clouds in the sky, not a power or a force, but a living reality of a person. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is also the servant of the Godhead. Whatever the Godhead decrees, the Holy Spirit puts it into practice. He executes what the Godhead decides is to be done. Even in creation, he was hovering over the earth, it says. He was hovering over the waters, it says in Genesis there. Whatever God wants to do, he does it through the Holy Spirit. And nothing that we have ever received from God has come in any other way than through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's activities are central to the outworking of God's power and his gracious presence. As a perfect servant, however, he looks for no reward. He takes no credit for what he does. And he exists to glorify another, Jesus, and to manifest the Father. And for this reason, his presence so often is unseen. It's unobtrusive because he doesn't draw any attention to himself. That's not what he's about. He's in the background so often. Jesus said, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. John 16 and verse 14. And you know, it's often for this very reason that the Holy Spirit is overlooked and ignored. And yet the Holy Spirit is 100% faithful. And so often we're very happy to receive what the Holy Spirit does, but then we go on to ignore him. So how do we relate to the Holy Spirit? I think we've got to realise one of the things that there is no difference between the secular and the spiritual. 
they're so much the same. We sometimes think that the Holy Spirit is only interested in the spiritual things in life. Therefore, he only turns up at meetings. And when I'm home and doing the dishes and living my life in my house at home, then he has nothing to do with that. There is no difference between the spiritual and the secular. A friend of mine who's a great international uh, conference speaker, he's, he's actually been here and, and spoken to, to some of us at, at, uh, some years ago, uh, had a passion for cars. He really loved cars. He loved tinkering around with cars and just playing in, you know, you, uh, the guys do. They just love to be in the car, particularly in the old days, I think, when there wasn't such a lot of electronic gubbins. You could go out and you could play around and you could adjust the cars. He loved doing that. And he, had, he was just doing an, an adjustment on the car to make it work one day. And um, this is a man of God. I just remind you, he's a, you know, a big man of God, really. He, he, was, he was looking at this and trying to, to fix this car. He thought he knew how to do it. And he was doing what he could, and he, and he switched the engine on. And he went, and it wouldn't work. You know? And he tried this a number of times, and it still wouldn't work. And then he did what I would do very often. I can just see my imagination doing this. He walked around the car and kicked it, all the tires. Such a lot of frustration. Here I am, I know everything there is about cars, and I can't make this car work. And you know, you can imagine him kicking the car. And then he heard a voice which said to him, Peter, why don't you ask me? This was God speaking to him. And you know what his reaction was? What do you know about cars? <laughs> and then he suddenly realized that God made the wisdom how to make cars. He knew how it could get put together and again. And he had to confess. What do you know about cars? Nothing to do with you. I mean, God downloaded him the answer. He did the adjustment, switched on the engine, and it worked. What a lesson. There is no difference between the secular and the spiritual. Let's don't put the Holy Spirit into a box and say that he's only involved with certain things and certain activities. So how do we relate to this Holy Spirit? Well, fundamentally, we need to recognize and understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. A person to be loved, a person to be fellowshiped with, and a person to be enjoyed throughout life. As I said, he's not a person that's to be only reserved to certain activities. Not, he's not a religious person in that sort of sense. To be reserved for our Christian activities. To be reserved only at meetings or maybe even our quiet times. That's when we meet up with the Holy Spirit. It's vital. Every part of our life is vital and crucial to the Holy Spirit. And it's such that we need to develop an ongoing relationship with him. Like, see, many Christians only turn to the Holy Spirit when they're in a crisis, when there is a real problem, when there is an extreme crisis in their lives and their daily experience, when they have no strength, when they have no patience, when they have no left effort left in their lives. They do this, they turn to him only when there's a real problem, rather than living a day-to-day -day life in the joyful reality of the abiding presence 
of the Holy Spirit. You see that God is in all things. There's no spiritual, there's no secular, there's no divine with God the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't feel that God has got the answer to our day-to-day problems of life. God has got the answer to everything. He made everything. He's got the answer to everything. If you want to know how to overcome a problem, then you go to deal with the one who made the thing in the first place. If if you've got a problem with your car, you turn to the the manual, the car manual. If you've got something wrong so often with an electrical appliance in your house, you go to the the manual of it. We need to go to the person who made it, the manufacturer, the one who knows everything about it. So whenever we come across a problem, why don't we go to the person who made things, who knows everything about it, who created everything? So often we go to the manual, we go to the person when all else fails. It's a way of life these days with some people. I know that my guys, that when, you've, when they've got a new piece of gubbins, they play around with it until they make it work. They, they, they go into the manual and looking at the book of instructions is the last thing that so many people do. And I wonder whether that applies in our Christian life. But the last thing that we do is that we look at the book of instructions, the manual, or we go to the person who made it in the first place and say, how, how does it work? How can, I, how, how can I make things work? The day-to-day problems of life, that everything we face, God the Holy Spirit is interested in and is involved with. He created all things. And he's, the, he's got the understanding of everything. He's the expert on every matter. But the Holy Spirit will not force himself upon us. But he's willing to draw alongside to help. If you don't want him to help, he's not going to push his way in. He's not going to force himself upon us. But he is there to come alongside to help. The Holy Spirit has all the resources for life. (laughs) And he just loves to serve. He's a servant. That's what he does. He just loves to serve. He loves to help. He loves to heal. And he's the source of all life. And he's not just there for our meetings and religious activities. We need to realise that the Holy Spirit's desire is to be in the whole of our life. He's our closest friend and companion in our lives. He lives inside of us daily. And we need to learn how to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this begins with a revelation of the truth about him. A revelation of who he is. A revelation of what he does. A revelation of where he resides. And following this revelation, we need to come into an agreement with him that we will walk beside him. We will walk with him in every 
day of our lives, every aspect of our lives. We will walk with him constantly, not just at special times, but there is that constant ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We need to break aside, we need to smash up the mindset that says that he's only interested in certain things. And we exclude him from the details of our day-to-day, everyday life. Perhaps we can do that by spending time with him. Just making time to be with God, the Holy Spirit. Just waiting in his presence. I don't find that difficult. I find that difficult, to be honest. Uh, I've got to deliberately uh, seek time to spend time with the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to put aside Tuesday mornings just to wait and be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I find my mind is active. I'm away. I'm, 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 I'm thinking different things. God says something to me and I'm thinking, ah, that's a great idea. I might be able to share that with Phil or I'm going to go and do that in another sermon. And whatnot. I go, no, 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 no. That's not the whole purpose of it. God says, just spend time with me. Why don't you listen to me? Why don't you spend time with me, the Holy Spirit, and sit down and, and just spend time with him and relax and be in his presence? I, I want to do something. I, I, I want to... I want to put things into practice. And I'm off all, my mind's going all over the place. I've got to spend time quietly waiting in his presence, enjoying his company. So often, we, just being with someone is, is such a delight. We don't have to do things with them. Just being with people is such a joy. Just, God said to me some years ago, I just love being with you, Dave. Why don't we come out and have a coffee together? That's what God wants to, you know, so often we, just going out with someone in a human term, just having a coffee with them, it's just a joy and a pleasure, just, or just chilling out with them. God wants to, us to spend time with him. But for some of us, we've got to actively set aside time to be in his presence. When I was with British Telecom, we used to see some uh, films about what you do and what you, you don't do um, in, in business. I, and John Cleves are, one, are usually a good one. And um, I, there, there was one which saw a man walking around in an office doing nothing. He said, I want to go and see him. He said, no, he's busy. But he doesn't appear to be. He's just walking around. just doing, No, he's busy. You know. uh, and so... We've got to do that sometimes. We've got to say, I'm busy. I'm spending time with God. Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings, if someone rings up and they do so often, can I come along and see you? No, I'm busy. But what are you doing? I'm sitting here with God, the Holy Spirit, doing nothing. But I'm being with Jesus. I'm being with his Holy Spirit. We've got to, sometimes we've got to set aside time to be, to learn, to be with the presence of God. And it, it's difficult for some of us, difficult for me, because I'm a doer. I want to do things. It takes time to build that relationship. And we need to spend time building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We've got to spend time just waiting in his presence. Because you know, some of the, one of the greatest 
difficulties we experience in life today is the fear and the anxiety of trying to cope with life by us being in control of it. We're trying to control everything by our own understanding. Essentially, you know, we've, we've made our own wisdom and knowledge the source of, of our life and strength. And by doing that, no wonder we're stressed. If it was left up to us to work things out, no wonder we get stressed, no wonder we get anxious, no wonder we get troubled. We know, need to know a discipline of our mind which can somehow just step back from life, as it were, and step into the presence of God. We need to be able to step back into God, the Holy Spirit, at any time in our daily program of life. And when we do, we can find his presence, we can find peace, we can find grace and wisdom, we can find the knowledge, etc., that we need. Anything that we need at any time, we can step back into God, step back into the presence of God and find it. And perhaps the precursor for all of this is an acknowledgement of a heart that admits the, the truth of this, that apart from me, said Jesus, you can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from God, the Holy Spirit. Essentially, we're spiritual beings. We are spiritual beings. Jesus told the woman at the well, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a spiritual dimension in us. God breathed the spirit of life into mankind at creation. And God is a spirit. And we've got to relate to him in spirit as well. And we need to do that. We need to have God at the center of our existence. And at the fall, you remember at creation at the fall, Adam and Eve ate the, from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then as, as a result of that, the mind took supremacy over a relationship with God. Previously to that, all they had to do was to relate to God. All they had to do was to have this relationship with God and everything worked out fine. Everything they needed, everything they needed to do was all flowed from a relationship with God. And then they ate of the tree of the fruit of knowledge and suddenly the mind took over. The mind started thinking, I know what I need to do. I know what I have to do. I know what is good and I know what is knowledgeable and what is essential for life. The mind took over and moved from the relationship with God. And it's the battle of the mind that we're faced with today. It's the thoughts that determine our actions. So often it's what we think that determines what, what we do. We need to approach the Holy Spirit from a basis of revelation. What is the Holy Spirit doing and saying? 
and not the desires of our own minds and our own thinking, our own wills, our own understanding. No wonder Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 16 that we are to live by the Spirit and you will not glorify the desires of the flesh. Biblically, you see, we should live by the Spirit first and the minds second. And so often what we do is we live by the minds first and then see how it ties in with the Spirit. We need to have a revelation of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and understanding that you may know God better. It's that revelation of God that comes first. And as a result of that revelation, then we can then operate in our minds. Spirit first, mind secondly. I find that difficult. I am a thinker as well as a doer. And I spend a lot of time thinking. I know Phil does a lot of thinking as well. But God says, I want to give you a revelation of myself that comes not from our own intellectual thinking, but a revelation from God. And God is revealing things and wanting to reveal things to us by spirit in these days. The human mind only produces right understanding when it's submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so living out of our spirit is the key to dynamic life in Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. May each one of us start to move into a deeper relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord.